No pressing announcements, just a call to worship. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let's bow our hearts and heads in sound of preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing hymn 225, 225. 225. Almighty, we continue to trust you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and thankful God for who you are and opening our hearts to your truth and ask that you be with us in a special manner this evening, that we be encouraged and directed towards your will, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 103, 103e.
we stand by grace and your might and power, Lord Almighty, thankful for your love in Christ Jesus towards us even this evening. Our God and Savior, we pray for your people, we pray for one another, we pray for the church of Jesus Christ, wherever she may be. We ask God that you continue to protect her and purge her and purify her. We pray in particular, God, for our situation here in America, locally and statewide, nationally, for justice and righteousness, Lord, to grow and prevail through our courts and society, and through politics, and even through our churches, God Almighty. We think of the wickedness in society promoted through entertainment, through advertisement, through businesses, Lord, who are now taking up the mantle of support for murder. Help us, we pray, Lord Almighty, during difficult times, not to lose sight of who's in charge, you, God Almighty, and not to lose sight of your law and the justice that we pray for, as we read especially in the Psalms, but elsewhere in the Bible. And always, God, praying for the salvation and redemption of of those around us, Lord, of those in those businesses and entertainment, God, that they would have their hearts turned to you and turned away from wickedness. We pray for our family. We pray for our situations uh, in various sundry ways, not only our immediate family, but our extended family and those close to us and our grandchildren, God. We ask that we would continue to grow in love for one another and obedience to your word, patience, and to do our duty and callings before you towards one another and responsibilities that we have as husbands and as wives, as fathers and as mothers, as children, as grandparents, Lord, as grandchildren, as uncles and nieces and the like, and how we have a responsibility and calling you've given us through the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord, not to be discouraged in our responsibilities, Lord, but to be encouraged to know that you have given us these things and that we can do them through Christ Jesus, our Lord, sufficient, Lord, to be of help and to maintain our families, we pray. Help us to have wisdom for those who are leading their families, the husbands in particular, God, and uh, those over the children, both the husband and the wife, that we would understand what we need to do and how to prepare for uh, the future as best we can in such a... Uh, tumultuous time in many ways, an uncertain time, God, that we find ourselves in. Help us, we pray to that end, never to lose sight of love for one another, and love for you especially. We lift up for those, God, who are close to us, and other denominations or churches or who have been here in the past, who are in error and confusion about your word, both in practice and doctrine, that you would help them overcome the darkness and the blinding of their eyes, uh, God Almighty, and that they would come and draw nigh unto you. They would understand your word better, that your spirit would illuminate them. Help us, God, to uh, examine ourselves and our hearts to that we would avoid error, and that we, God, would avoid darkness and understand your word and pray, Lord, for more grace to carry on in obedience to your word and in love for the saints, we ask. And our hearts desire, especially for church leaders and denominations of various and sundry stripes, Lord, perhaps even in ours, who have... Um, confusion and darkness and serious matters, Lord, that they too would change and they can bring about change in their own churches, God, and bring them unto you in the light of your word. We pray and ask God and thank you, especially for the uh, moisture that we've had up to this point. We pray for more moisture and rain. We think of uh, the farmers and the drought situation we find ourselves in, God, that you would be with them and preserve uh, the crops that they have and the foods and the like uh, throughout the winter as well. And they will get the moisture that they need so that we can have food on our table, God Almighty. We pray and ask that you continue to bless us through Christ Jesus our Lord, not because of anything that we have done for ourselves or in ourselves, but because of your good mercy through the covenant of grace we pray. For your glorious name's sake, amen. We now have the tithes and offerings.
Let us rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We ask God for your blessings upon us and the givers, Lord, so that we can give more in the future, our Lord and Savior, for the good of your people, for those in need. We ask God that they be blessed, these tithes and offerings, for your namesake. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. I thought it would be appropriate to stop here and dig in a little more into this text and related themes here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. First Corinthians 2.13 and following, let us listen attentively to the word of God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but, with, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can they be known by them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yea, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. Let us pray. Here, Lord, we read in summary fashion, Paul explaining why the Corinthians know the gospel and know the mystery of your revelation in Jesus Christ, because you gave them a spirit who teaches our, our hearts and opens our minds and eyes to the truth of the wonders of the Bible. And so, Lord, we are introduced here by Paul into the glories of the third member of the Trinity, and that we may magnify and glory in his name. Amen. Question six of the Shorter Catechism summarizes the key truth of the Trinity in the form of a question that many of us know and remember. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Of these three, And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. We read much of the Father in the Bible, as I mentioned before, as well as the Son, especially in the Gospels and the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, however, seems less emphasized in terms of raw numbers of references in the Bible. Yet for all that, he is no less important, since he is of the Godhead. He is God, the same in substance and equal in power and glory with the Father and the Son. The confusion comes in in our lives at times, I think, when we forget that although all three are equally God, in substance, equal in power and glory, yet when interacting with this creation, with mankind and redemption in particular, they have different tasks with respect to the things of this universe. This is strikingly found in Ephesians 1, for example, where we read the Father arranging salvation from eternity past, the Son accomplishing it, in time and space, and the Spirit applying it here and now in the sealing function that he has. 
The Spirit is alive and well in our salvation, even if He's not explicitly mentioned often in our Bible text. And so let us learn from these texts here in particular, the different ways by which the Spirit of truth and power is involved in our life, brothers and sisters, so that we may praise Him all the more. And of course, as introduced by Paul here in 1 Corinthians 2 and elsewhere in Corinthians. And we will touch upon those, but here I want to give a summary description of three broad points of the work of the Holy Spirit and what he has done and is doing for this world and for his church in particular. And I will go to these texts in the second point. The first point is the Holy Spirit creates and sustains. He was there at the beginning, and he's there at all times and all places because he is omnipresent. In Genesis 1, 1, we all know in the beginning was God, he created all things, but in verse 2, we read, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. We have the Father, the Son, who is the word that is spoken, as John 1 reminds us. And here we have the Spirit and His role in creation. The Spirit of God hovering like a bird over her brood is the imagery there to protect and sustain her little chicks, chicklings, the mother bird covering and protecting this creation that is the Holy Spirit preserving all things from the least to the greatest to the smallest to the largest. The Spirit is there sustaining and protecting and guiding all things to the glory of God. And that's described elsewhere, not only in summary fashion there in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, and a most glorious passage there, but we'll go through in Job 33.4 and then Psalm 105 a little bit later. The Spirit is in the Bible there in verse 2, mentioned a number of times, many times in the Old Testament. Of course, again, not as often as the Father, not as often as the prophecies of Christ come. And yet he is still there and vital to the Old Testament and vital in the relationship to God's people. He is mentioned in key passages, and we'll talk about some of those. He sustains all things in Job 33.4. We read, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Holy Ghost gives life to all. We exist because of his good pleasure, of God's power power so vast that not only did he create all things, nothing that is created can exist without him. All things are created and sustained. All life comes from him. And the way Job expresses this, as he expresses many things, you may not be aware of it, but Job uses much Hebraic poetry, poetic forms. Not that it's not history, it is history, but the language and what's spoken here. We see it here, the Spirit of God has made me, And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. It's saying a similar thing twice. That's how Hebrew poetry often works, parallelisms. Remember, if you've forgotten, that in both Testaments, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word there for spirit is also for breath or wind. So it's context-dependent to know what they're saying there. And it's very obvious in the multitude of passages of the Holy Spirit, because it will say, the Spirit of God that is the Holy Spirit, because we know, on the other hand, God does not have a breath. He's not like a man. He doesn't need to breathe. Clearly, it's describing the Spirit 
of God. The first part, the Spirit of God has made me in Job 33, 4. It's a different word there for breath of the Almighty in the second part. We have life because the Spirit of God has given us life. We are here, and He was here, and we are here because of Him. He was there at the beginning of creation. It sustains all things, even to this very moment of us listening to this sermon. And the breath that comes next out of your mouth is because of Him. That is His role in creation. That is His role in providence. In Psalm 105, we read more of this. There are a number of other verses I could have gone through. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. Yet you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Here we also have a description of the opposite, where God withholds his power and might, or his spirit by implication, because on the other hand, in verse 30, he sends forth the spirit, breath or wind, and they are created, and he renews the face of the earth. He withholds of the spirit of God, holds back, all things will die and fade away. On the other hand, the Spirit is sent forth across the face of the earth, and life is renewed and empowered. I watched recently, I purchased a, at the recommendation of that website I recommend to you all the time, crev.info, a creation research institution by a bunch of scientists who aren't whack of jobs and they recommended these two videos. So I went ahead and ordered them because I'm thinking about doing apologetics next um, for us and certainly for my daughter, who was in junior high. And the video <clears throat> was going through Stephen Myers, who came out about 10 years ago because he was an atheist. And he studied the genes and how life is formed. And he's analyzing the whole thing. He's discovering more and more the, what they call the irreducible complexity of life, that you cannot create like... The evolutionists used to simplistically think, all the way back to Darwin, one little piece at a time. All the complexities of the eyeball have to be there at the same time simultaneously to work. And everything else in your body and life. <clears throat> and he explained there in the womb, the embryonic form of life, whether it be human or animal of some type, that yes, the cells divide, Right, and and the cells are you're going to be the brain cell, you're going to be the brain, uh, the eyeball cell, you're going to be the foot cell, and yes, the genes tell them how to be a cell, but the genes don't tell them how to be a brain. The genes don't tell them how to make the body of a man in the form of a man. I missed that in all my study. I didn't know that. They don't know what guides and creates life. They used to say it was the genes, and now we're finding out it's not. The genes tell you the color of your eyes, perhaps how tall you are, but it doesn't tell. There's nothing in the genes that tells them how to work outside of being a cell. Why do all the cells coordinate and become a heart, a leg, or a bone? Scientists are clueless. They're absolutely clueless. And his answer was, as we all know, it's a guided process (laughs) from the beginning to the end. Absolutely. From the Holy Spirit. Now, also in the Old Testament, of course, we have the extraordinary preservation in the power of the Spirit shown through unique abilities uh, from the judges and the time of the judges, right, in which God fell upon them, and they fought for Israel in a special manner, empowered by the Spirit in some special way. Others who were craftsmen in the creation of the temple were, again, overshadowed by the Spirit and guided to make and create certain things. So the Spirit does these other activities as well in time and space and part of God's plan. In the New Testament as well, 
he came upon different groups of Christians in the New Testament through Acts to highlight the growth of the church from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth and to the apostles of John. Those are the four incidences in which the Holy Spirit falls upon them in a unique manner, like not unlike the Old Testament, that is extraordinary. And they sp- spoke in tongues. They gave evidence of something unique happening. That's the Spirit of God. They're giving more redemption, redemptive inst- instruction to God's people that it has changed. It's no longer about being Jewish anymore. The Samaritans aren't half-breeds. It doesn't count anymore. The Gentiles can come in, and even the apostles of John. The second point. Besides the Holy Spirit who is there in creation and sustains all things, is he illuminates and convicts, or convicts and illuminates. I think I have it reversed by accident. Convicts and illuminates. The illumination is through the Bible, of course, Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. You've probably heard this before. I know because I heard it here from Dr. Coppes. Uh, that word inspired is God-breathed. Prefer that translation, God breathed. But what's the breath of God? <laughs> Remember the word spirit. The Old Testament is wind or breath. God's spirit, Job 33, we read, he brings life. And here he brings inspiration and gathers the Bible together. The Holy Spirit, more explicitly in 2 Peter 1.21 we read, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's the silent member of the Trinity in many ways, and yet he is so pivotal and important. Without him we had no Bible. The Bible is the product of God's Spirit. He worked in and through the men, as we know, that he chose to write the Old Testament, to write the New Testament, to pen these letters and these histories for us and for the people of old, such that they use men's words and language, the Greek and the Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic in the Old Testament, and yet it's God's words, words we ought to sit up and listen to, to be treasured and to follow. And not only does he illuminate, he brings conviction. Here it's a broader, it's a little, there's overlap here. So in my mind, I'm like, where do I put, what order should I put things? Think, when you hear how the pastor thinks, how he organizes things. Because conviction is either effectual, like it is for us. We, We were convicted, we repented, and we believed. Illumination is effectual for us. We see it, we understand it, we believe. But it's not always the case, and yet the Spirit is behind both of them. When people see and understand, but they reject the gospel, that's not the Spirit's fault, it's their fault. And yet the Spirit was there to give them that truth, and they're they're culpable for it and guilty before God. We see that here specifically in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, this is Jesus speaking, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. The apostles are like, don't leave us. (laughs) Jesus is like, no, it's a good thing that I leave, because if I leave, what? If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, or the Comforter. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That is the Holy Spirit, also known as the Comforter or Helper. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Conviction is there. People have conviction. They feel guilty. The Spirit is behind that. 
of sin, because they do not believe in me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, sinners are so hardened in their sins, in their hearts, so saturated with wickedness and vile dispositions, that their own conscience, neighbors in the Word of God, will not shake them from their rebellion unless the Spirit of God first puts a fire under them and brings conviction. He will convict the world of sin. And he does, through the preaching of the Word, through the reading of the Bible, through Christians speaking the truth. These are the ways in which the Spirit of God works. He uses you, brothers and sisters, to bring conviction as you speak his word. And of course, conviction, and we conceive of conviction as a more narrow idea than repentance, which we can see as as the fruit of conviction. I'm convicted, I feel guilty, therefore I will repent. I will hate my sin. I will turn away from it and flee to Jesus Christ. Conviction ought to yield repentance. People do feel convicted. They feel bad. They feel guilty, but they don't change. They don't repent. But only those whom the Spirit touches, they repent, they change. They will have a lasting conviction that brings about true repentance, as only the power of the Holy Spirit can give. This conviction comes from the illumination of the Holy Spirit. They go hand in hand. Illumination more narrowly of their sin, of their guilt and their conscience, for example. But here I speak of the illumination more broadly of the gospel. Here in verse 13 and following. These things we also speak, that is Paul and uh, other apostles and preachers, not words which man's wisdom teaches. We're not just speaking off the top of our head. We're not just carrying on traditions, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. So clearly the idea of teaching there is that the Spirit illuminates and gives knowledge of the gospel through the truth. He's saying, yes, we speak, but it's the Spirit who's doing this He's behind all this, and this truth of why you know what you know. But the natural man has not received the things of the Spirit of God. What things? The mystery, right? Verse 12 was a pivot point. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us. As in verse 10, but God has revealed them to us, that is, the mysteries, through his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things. Don't forget the topic here in verses 13 to 16, the gospel as a mystery relative to the world. Not a mystery to us. We're like, we get it. We accept Jesus. We love Jesus. We love his word. We love his church. We love the gospel. But that's because he says, you have the spirit. <laughs> it's been revealed to you. This is why you know and believe. You've been illuminated by the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of illumination, that you know what you know because the spirit of God has given you that knowledge. Or more precisely, enlightened your mind, illumination, to that which you are reading or hearing. Of course, he's behind that as well, because he's guiding providence, doesn't he? God guides providence. Not just conviction, but illumination. The Spirit is involved, in other words, brothers and sisters, although I won't go through all the details here, the entire process of conversion Conversion is more precisely in systematic theology the conscious act of repentance and faith, which is the fruit of, that's right, The uh, oh, I'm almost there, of regeneration. You're born again, and then you're converted. <clears throat> so it's not just the initial act of darkness to light, 
what we typically think of conversion or regeneration, but to continue a life of knowledge through the book of Corinthians, through other books of the Bible that we read. We grow in knowledge. We're growing because the Spirit of God is helping us understand these things. Paul is explaining to the Corinthians that their knowledge of the mystery of the gospel, that mystery the rulers of the age did not know, came from the Spirit of truth. And that's what he means by spiritually discerned in verse 14. And he who is spiritual is another way of describing that, or that it's he who is taught by the Holy Spirit or illuminated and understands these things. Because the natural man, that is unbelievers, do not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They don't want anything to do with it. And they have not been illuminated by the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. And thus they are in darkness. And they're happy to be in darkness, unfortunately. This is about another way of Paul telling them, up to now, in chapter 2, chapter 1 especially, he's hammering against them, apparently, some pride issues. Right? We're of Paul, we're of Cephas, we're of Jesus. We're special, we're super holy. And we have better preachers. Whatever, it doesn't give a lot of specificity sometimes, kind of interesting, but clearly, pride, we would say, is there in this division. And this is but another way of hammering against that. Look, your knowledge that you heard from Paul or Christ or Peter is not because somehow you're smarter than other people or you're the elite of Corinth and you had special education like Paul. None of that. It's because of the Holy Spirit. Rich, poor, indifferent, smart, dumb, it doesn't matter. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will embrace the gospel. You will see and will no longer be a mystery to you. Praise be to God. Because it is the Spirit of God who brings conviction and illumination. And it's the Spirit of God who brings regeneration and sanctification. Regeneration and sanctification. These points are paired by, of sorts, origin, creation, and sustaining all things. The first point, illumination and conviction. You can't be convicted unless you see the, the truth of your sins, for example. And here you have to be born again to be sanctified. Obviously, there's other overlaps. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're regenerated. You're also illuminated. You're sustained by the Holy Spirit. So here, the Spirit of God was there at creation. It sustains all things. He brings conviction to the world and opens our eyes. And he also brings new life and purifies us for heaven. John 3, as you know, is the classic passage of the work of the Holy Spirit in the act of being born again or what is often called regeneration in systematic theology. Jesus answered and said to him, that is, Nicodemus, one of the leaders of Israel, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Right over his head. The apostles fell for that, too, a couple times, as you recall. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This is a spirit-wrought activity. Not because you're born that way, not because you're a Jew, not because you did something in your body or your mind or your will but because the Spirit comes along. He says in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. On a windy day, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's sovereign decision 
is he's the one who is there to empower people to be born again and brought into the kingdom of God. And so the conviction and the illumination that you experience came about in the logical order because you were already born again. The Spirit had awakened your soul so that you said, yes, I see. Yes, I believe. You who are dead in trespasses and sins, walking in the lust of your minds and the power of the devil, God breathed life into your dead souls so that now you see and believe. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. This illumination and being spiritual only occurs to those to whom the Spirit has come upon, that is, everyone who is born again. 2 Thessalonians, we read, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. There we have the Holy Spirit tied to which doctrine? The doctrine of sanctification, of being purified, of being set aside for holy purposes. Salvation is not just regeneration or justification, but also includes sanctification. The purification of your soul in terms of obedience and purification of your mind and words in accordance to God's word. You have been chosen by God from eternity past to salvation through sanctification and belief of the truth. The Spirit of God is involved in that. The belief of the truth is also there with the Holy Spirit. That's what? How do you have belief of the truth? The truth is revealed to you by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He's there in the entire process of your life. It's regeneration, conversion, sanctification in your personal life. The Spirit is involved in all that. Because he is there from the beginning of creation, bringing life, physical life, the life of breathing, of being here and now, the physical animal life, they used to call it, and the spiritual life, being born again, of seeing the truth when others will not see the truth because they would, would not see the truth. But God has convicted us by the power of the Spirit so that we would see the truth because we are indeed born again and being sanctified, set aside, and morally pure and holy. To the extent that we are following the Lord Jesus Christ, to the extent that we read his Bible, that we are convicted of sin, that we are leading our families, taking care of our children, working hard as unto the Lord, trying to live the life of a Christian in obedience, to that extent the Spirit of God is working in you. You are spirit-filled believers. And the best understanding of that, not because of extraordinary, amazing things, but the ordinary, like I mentioned with Christ this morning. You take time to pray. You avoid the hubbub of things so you can take care of other matters in life, not just prayer as well. Take the proper means, causes, and occasions. And the Spirit of God is behind that and guiding your path that way, that you become more obedient and more convicted and more under, and more grow in knowledge, more understanding of his word so that you can be more useful in God's kingdom. The kingdom there that you are in his family, the kingdom in this church, the kingdom is wherever the people of God are and are trying to do his good pleasure and will as he works in us. That's the Spirit of God, brothers and sisters. That's his might and his power. 
When Paul speaks of illumination here, or that which the Holy Spirit teaches, he opens their hearts and gives them the truth of the gospel. That is but one task and function and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The entirety of your life is undergirded by the Spirit as he works in and through you and before you and guides things for his good pleasure. The Holy Spirit makes you more holy and more Christ-like here. We read 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Sanctification, regeneration, conviction, illumination, sustaining of all things, the giving of life, that is from the power and the sovereign good pleasure of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Blessed Trinity, brothers and sisters. He is here. He is here with us this evening. And he is here guiding and protecting us and bringing truth and understanding into our eyes and ears through my feeble efforts, through your efforts, and always through his power. Praise God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for agreeing to save us to the uttermost by his Spirit who created and sustained this world, who brings illumination and conviction to the lost and regenerates and sanctifies us day by day to his glorious praise and grace we pray. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for bringing the truth of the Holy Spirit into our lives. The Spirit of God the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, as his name is, and so is his function and calling and responsibility as he has promised in eternity past with the other two members of the Trinity and the covenant of redemption, God, as the third member of the Trinity, equal with the other two, to do for his people because he loves us. Help us, God, to be comforted thereby, as Christ had given him to us to be comforted. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing hymn 273, 273.
and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.